Let's pray together. Father, when we think about your grace and how you poured out your kindness to us, your love, your mercy, your favor, when we think about it's not deserved, but you've lavishly blessed us with your favor, we, we can only just say thank you. And we're thankful that your Spirit is with us today, teaching us and comforting us and transforming us. And as we open your Word now, I pray that you would speak to us from your Word. I pray, Father, that your Spirit would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear and see from you today. And give us the faith to believe it and embrace it and live according to it. So, Father, help us as we open up your word now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to take a one-week break from our study in Isaiah. Lord willing, we'll be back there next week. But today, I want to spend some time in... Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39, I've entitled this sermon, Your Extraordinary, Extraordinary Hope in Suffering. And by extraordinary, I mean unusually great. Um, all of you at one time or another, and maybe some of you even right now, are experiencing sufferings and trials of many kinds. Uh, you may be here this morning and gripped with physical illness or weakness that's been plaguing you relentlessly. You may be facing an onslaught of discouragement or temptation from the evil one. You may live in a relationship with problems that just seem insurmountable. The evil one may remind you again and again of your past failures. You, you may be grieved in your heart because of the evil that you see in the world. You may be suffering because you are a follower of Christ. There really is no end to the kinds of suffering that we may experience in life. And sometimes your suffering may overwhelm you. Sometimes you may lose sight of any glimmer of hope. And my, my desire today as we open up this text of God's Word is to point you to the extraordinary hope that is yours in Christ. If, if you are a Christian, your hope in Christ is unusually great. It's not common. It's supernatural. There, there's nothing ordinary about the hope that Christ gives to us. It, it's greater than anything we can imagine. And, and I want you to see it today. I want you to savor it. And I want you to live in light of that hope. God, God doesn't promise to always remove the suffering, but He does promise to sustain you with hope as He carries you through. 
In, in no way, when, and when I say that, in no way do we want to minimize the suffering you're in, maybe experiencing, but instead our desire is for you to understand the, the hope that is yours is far greater. As I mentioned, our text today is Romans 8, 18 through 39. And today I want to highlight from this text three reasons for your extraordinary hope in suffering. And I want you to see key, three key questions and answers that fortify that hope that's been given to you in Christ. But I, I also want you to know, first and foremost, that this hope that I'm talking about today is for the person that Jesus Christ has saved, the person that is born again, the person who has repented and put their faith in Jesus and has been accepted by God on the basis of what Christ has done for you. This hope that I'm speaking of today is anchored in and built upon the person of Jesus Christ who redeemed us through the shedding of his blood and whose righteousness is ours by faith. If, if you are here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus for your salvation, I urge you to do that even today. My, my desire is that in your heart of hearts, you too would know this extraordinary hope that only Jesus can give. So as, as we begin this morning, what are the three reasons for your extraordinary hope in suffering? Uh, what, what do we see in this text? Well, there, there's, there's one thing that we must say before we look at Romans 8, and it's found in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, and there we read this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Let me say that again. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, in reality, our hope is refined in the furnace of affliction. Uh, suffering leads us to our hope in Christ. In fact, in suffering, we learn to identify with Christ and His sufferings. In Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, we read this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So what we see in the New Testament is that for Jesus, suffering, his suffering came before glory. And it's that way for us too. So in our flesh... We may fight against suffering. We, we may not want to, we may not like suffering. We may not want to accept suffering. We, we may not see anything good in suffering. We may be completely overwhelmed with suffering. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, 
we can accept and even rejoice. <laughs> it's amazing. We can rejoice in our suffering. Because, reason number one, our present sufferings don't begin to compare with the glory that will be revealed to us when Christ comes again. So, if we suffer with Christ, we will also share in His glory. And, and that glory will make any suffering in this lifetime seem pale in comparison. What does the glory that will be revealed to us when Christ come, comes again, what does that look like? Well, in short, that glory will be more beautiful and satisfying than anything we have ever seen before. Uh, John Piper says God's glory is the radiance of His holiness, the radiance of His manifold, infinite worth, infinitely worthy and valuable perfections. End of quote. And when Christ comes again, His glory will be revealed to us. God will give us eyes to see and to savor Him in all of His breathtaking beauty in an unhindered way. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says it best, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And then in Romans 8.24 and 25 we read, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So hope is a certain and confident expectation that God's glory will be revealed to us when Christ comes again. Again, verse 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is something coming for the Christian that is so great that even the most difficult of sufferings in this lifetime will pale in comparison. Paul's not minimizing the sufferings in this lifetime. Paul understood suffering. He has a couple of passages in the New Testament where he catalogs all of the things that he endured, the sufferings that he endured. He, he suffered plenty in his lifetime. Instead, so he's not minimizing that. Instead, he's saying that seeing and savoring the glory of God for all eternity is infinitely better than the suffering we have in this lifetime. He says this so that you will persevere in your faith, giving you courage and patience in what can sometimes be a very long and difficult sufferings. This is an adequate, but let me attempt to illustrate how present sufferings don't begin to contrast with future glory. Present sufferings might be compared to the excruciating pains of a woman in labor. I don't know, I'm really not the one to be speaking about this, but 
I can remember thinking as I watched Shelly in labor and giving birth to our two children, I, I can remember thinking, I have never, ever seen anyone in so much pain, an excruciating pain. Um, but the gift of a child makes all of those labor pains a price worth paying. I, I witnessed Shelly cry out in labor pains for a long season. But then I also witnessed the inexpressible tears of joy as she held Josh and Jessica in her arms. So I want you to know that our present sufferings, as difficult as they may be, our present sufferings don't begin to compare with the glory that will be revealed to us when Christ comes again. And I want you to see that and believe that. There, there is great hope for you in suffering. Reason number two is that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. So how, how does he do that? Well, one of the ways is this, verse 26 and 27. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's an awesome truth. It's an awesome truth. Do, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you just don't know how to pray? H have you ever been in a situation where you're so overwhelmed by your trial that you don't even have the strength to pray? I want you to be encouraged because this text teaches us that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. This reveals that our hope ultimately isn't tied to us hanging on to God, but it is God hanging on to us in those difficult times. And the Spirit searches our hearts and He knows what we need better than we know ourselves. The Spirit also knows perfectly God's will for us. And He intercedes before the Father on our behalf. Do you, do you grasp the weightiness of that, the beauty of that, the power of that? We can often be encouraged, and rightfully so. We can be encouraged when our brothers and sisters pray for us when we go through difficult times. So if that encourages, how much more should we be encouraged in our sufferings when we know and believe that the Holy Spirit the third person of the triune God is interceding for us according to God's perfect will. And God the Father will always give what the Holy Spirit asks for because the Holy Spirit is always praying according to the Father's will. So you, in your suffering, are not left alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. He knows you far better than you know yourself. He also knows your Heavenly Father perfectly, and He is actively and faithfully praying for you in perfect agreement with the Father's will. Reason number three for this extraordinary hope 
in suffering is this. God makes all things, all things work together for good. This is amazing. Not, not everything that happens in your life is good. You're treated in evil ways at times. You experience being sinned upon. You experience the brokenness of this world. So not everything that happens to you is good. We will share in Christ's glory, though, if we share in His sufferings. The English definition of the word suffering is a state of ongoing pain, distress, and hardship. So it's not just a one-time event. But God is so wise and God is so powerful that He can use that pain and distress and hardship. God can use that pain, that distress, that hardship to bring about good in your life through it. It's amazing. Not everything that happens to us is good, but God is at work to use even hard things, things that aren't good to bring about good. What is that good that He does? Verse 29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's, that's the promise. That God will transform us, conform us to the image of Christ. We'll, we'll work through hard things, things that aren't good to bring about things that are good so that we reflect the character of Christ in an ever-increasing way. Now, how, how confident can we be in God's ability to bring about good things from things that aren't necessarily good? How confident can we be that God will do that? Well, verse 30 says, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So that word glorified there grammatically means it's a past completed action. However, though we are not yet glorified because that will happen when Christ comes again, it's as good as done because God said He will do it. So I want you to know this morning that God is up to something good in your life. Even in suffering, He is at work to form Christ into the character of your life more and more. God is so wise and God is so good that He can take hard times and use them to bring you to a greater maturity in Christ. Your suffering is not pointless. Your suffering is not pointless. Do you believe that? Can you rest in the care of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Can you be content in Christ even in the midst of your trial? You can be absolutely certain that no matter what is happening in your life, even if what you are facing is not good. It brings 
pain, distress, and hardship, your, your life won't be defined by your pain, but it will be defined by your sovereign Lord who is infinitely wise and loving and good in, and is at work in your life doing good things in you and through you. Faith is living. Faith is living in light of that truth. Even if you don't see it physically and even if you don't feel it emotionally, faith believes that promise that God has made. I want you to know we must fight to live in light of Christ and His promises. Jerry Bridges says, trust is not a passive state of mind. Trust is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. Uh, the Dernland family is experiencing that right now. We've been praying for Matt Dernland, uh, Dave and Sue's uh, third son. He's 49. He's in the hospital, contracted a uh, nasty, very rare infection, um, and they're still trying to root that infection out of his body. Uh, he has lost the use of his legs. Um, he had been losing the use of his arms and his hands, but a, an emergency surgery um, put a stop to that, and he's beginning to regain use of his hands and his leg, uh, his hands and his arms. But at this point, he still has no use of of his legs, and. So you can imagine for Matt and Carrie, they have three girls. You can imagine for Dave and Sue, um, they love the Lord. They know he's sovereign. They know he's in control, but they're hurting because they're, they're just grieving over what has been happening to their son, uh, a husband, a, a father, and, and yet, so when I talk with Dave, he's honest about it, it hurts. We're hurting. And yet we know God is good and we're trusting. And so you, you, got, you got both of those things. Honest about the difficulty, but the thing that carries them through is knowing that God is in control, knowing that he is good, and that he promises to use this to bring about good things. Now, we, we've talked about three reasons for extraordinary hope in suffering. Let's now talk about three questions and answers that we see in this text that fortify your extraordinary hope in suffering. So we, we had that hope, and here's three, three questions that are asked and three answers that are given that, that bolster that, that hope that is ours. Question number one, verse 31-32, is this. If God is for us, who, who can be against us? And the answer is absolutely no one. Absolutely no one can be against us if God is for us. Um, the answer is this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the character and the promise of God. The, the gift of Jesus to, make, to meet our greatest need is proof that God is a lavish giver of good, really good 
gifts. Uh, so, yes, we are forgiven. We do have the hope of glory, but we also live in this age with the promise of His faithful presence with us. So the Spirit is constantly with us, comforting us, enabling us, transforming us, and even keeping us. And so we cling to that promise. Question number two, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who, who will condemn? Who is it to condemn? Verse 33 and 34. The answer is this, it is God who justifies Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so today we know that God is for us, not against us. And if God is for us, as we said before, no one, no one can be against us. So we live humbly with that confidence as we as we wait for the glory of Christ to be re revealed, that yes, we will walk through difficult times, but if God is for us, no one can be against us. Question number three, who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is nothing. We, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. L listen to verse 35 through 38. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all, day, all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So the Gospel makes it abundantly clear that we really do have an unusually great hope in Christ who will transform us through our sufferings and take us to glory. You, you can be absolutely certain of that. So as we close in light of these truths, let me just make four points of application. And th this is... This is where we have to just be willing to think, think carefully about these wonderful truths and take these wonderful truths and not say, yeah, I believe that, but, but then not have them influence or sustain us or change the way that we live. I want to suggest that if the things that we've learned in verses 18 through 39 are in fact true, there are, there are four ways that our life will be changed. One is this. You have every available grace to be content in Christ, even in your suffering. True contentment comes when you accept your suffering 
and are fixed on the hope that is yours in Christ. Let me say that again. You have every available grace to be content in Christ, even in your suffering. A big, one of the big battles in our suffering is, is accepting it. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew what was coming on the cross, he, he prayed three times and was sweating like drops of blood, but in his heart of hearts, he cried out to his Father, and said, if, if possible, take this cup for me, yet not my will, but your will be done. That was an expression of Jesus, the Son of God, who came to this earth for the purpose of going to the cross to purchase our redemption, had in that moment in the garden expressed his commitment to accept the will of his Father. Counting the cost, Knowing that it would be difficult, he experienced the sustaining comfort of the Holy Spirit with him as he accepted the suffering that he was about to endure, the cup that he was about to drink. Because of the work that God is doing in your life, in Christ, by his Spirit, because of this passage that talks specifically about His work in our life when we walk through experiences that aren't good, but yet God promises to use them for good. Because of that promise, even if we can't understand the suffering we are experiencing, we can accept it and be content in Christ. Even if the circumstances don't change because God promises. He gives his word that he's going to use it to bring about good things in your life. Number two, if those things are true, you and I have no good reason to give way to grumbling, despair, or self-pity. Now, I'm not saying that you won't be tempted to grumble. (laughs) As I thought about it, I kind of grumbled as I started this worship service today. I said, it's good to be here. Yesterday was a great day, but I'm tired. Hopefully, I'm just being honest that it was a full day, but I thought, I hope I wasn't grumbling by just acknowledging I'm tired today. Um... But really, we have no good reason to give way to grumbling, despair, or self-pity. Again, we all wrestle with that. That's a common thing that, that we're, we're tempted to give way to. The, the, the tempter would come and want us to, to give up. It's like, there, there's nothing good about this, and we lose hope in Christ. And it was like, if, if, this is, if this is what Christ has called me to, I, I don't want to have any part of it, and we want to go our own way. When the reality is, 
rather than grumbling, we need to run to Christ and say, I'm weak, I'm tired, I'm struggling. I need your grace to be able to cling to the promise that you have given. Number three, in your suffering, you have the perfect opportunity to experience the truth that Christ is enough to truly satisfy your soul. Um, your sufferings are intended to drive you to Christ and to transform you, but in driving you to Christ to fix your hearts on the hope that is yours in Him. We are, you know, Isaiah talks a lot about idols and um, you know, we think, oh, we don't, we don't struggle with idols. But the reality is, we, we're all, all of us are tempted to think, life has to be a certain way in order for me to be content. You know, I have a set of expectations for what I want for my life. And I will be content, I will be happy when all of my expectations are met. That's an idol. That's an idol that we bow down and we worship, we pursue, we try to control everything in all of the events of our life so that life is just the way that we want it to be. When in reality, there's not much in our life that happens just the way that we want it to happen. Um, there, there are so many things that happen in our life that are outside of our control but they aren't outside of the control of Jesus the Christ. And he knows exactly what we're facing, even things that aren't good, and he is able by his Spirit to use that to bring about good. And it, it, it teaches us to truly find our satisfaction in Christ. Not Christ plus a healthy life. Not Christ plus a good job, not Christ plus a set of relationships just the way that we want them to be. We will be most satisfied when we're satisfied in the person and the promises of Christ plus nothing. But take, and so we, we may think Christ is the one that is the delight of my heart, but when Suffering strips away things from our life. We are in a better position then to experience, to experience firsthand, Christ sustained me. You know, it's like we know what the Bible says, but when we walk through hard times and Christ meets us there, Christ comforts us there, Christ keeps us believing there, Christ carries us through that, it emboldens us. It helps us to know Christ really is enough. I, I believed it, but now I've experienced that the person of Christ plus nothing else is enough to satisfy the deep longings of my heart. Number four, you have every reason to be filled with hope and joy. Um, in, in this lifetime, God is with you. In this lifetime, God is with you. In the lifetime to come, because of what Christ has done for you and because of what the Holy Spirit is doing for you now, you will see and savor for all eternity all of God 
in his breathtaking beauty. And so I, I just want to say to you today, don't lose sight of your extraordinary hope in the midst of suffering. Let's pray together. Father, we know that your word is true. That when you speak, you speak truth. You do not speak lies. You don't mislead. You, you are honest with us. And your word sustains us. Your truth sustains us. So Father, this morning I want to pray for all of us here together this morning, not by accident, but by your divine appointment. We're here and we've heard from you through this powerful text. And Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, enable all of us to understand the great promise that you give. And I pray, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would enable us to believe it and to embrace it and to live according to it. I pray, Father, that you by your Spirit would not let us lose sight of the promise of glory when we see all of you in your breathtaking beauty and will enjoy you forever. So that's, that's what we look forward to in the age to come. But even in this age, you promise to never leave us or forsake us. You promise to walk with us even through the fire and the, and the troubled waters. You promise to never uh, leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, your power, your wisdom, your compassion, your understanding, your personal commitment to sustain us and care for us. So, Father, I, I pray that today in our heart of hearts, what will bring us comfort and joy will, will not be when all of the circumstances in life are just the way that we want them to be. I, I pray that what will really satisfy our hearts is you and your promise and your work in us. So, Father, help us, I pray, for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.